0: Welcome back to the Series 7 Study Guide, the Series 7 Podcast. The Series 7 Study Guide is a full series of audio lessons consisting of 74 lessons, which cover over 32 hours of audio instruction. And that full audio course is available at series7podcast.com. In this podcast, we are going to be covering portions of the lessons contained in the Series 7 Top-Off Study Guide, audio lessons for the new Series 7 exam, We hope you find these lessons valuable, and if you do, go to series7podcast.com and purchase the full bundle of audio lessons. These audio lessons are not intended to be a substitute for your book learning or attending classes. Audio lessons are a supplement. Some people learn audibly. Some people learn by reading. Some people learn by attending classes. We recommend that you use all forms of learning available to you. And audio is just one of those. Let me read you some of the reviews we've had for the series seven top off study guide. Haley wrote, thank you for your glorious podcast. Hi Franz. I'm studying for the series seven while working a full time 12 hour a day job, have a toddler at home and another kiddo on the way as a supplemental tool. As I drive between my meetings in Los Angeles, it's brilliant. I especially love the editorial commentary as it puts everything into perspective I haven't tried the videos or done any of the quizzes yet, but I'm a big fan so far and just getting started. My test is January 27th. Wish me luck. Any tips or additional feedback you have would be much appreciated. Your biggest fan, Haley. And then Tim wrote, Thank you so much for the podcast. I started out with the free ones and then ordered the package. This week I passed. I studied and read for a few months in between work and listened to your podcasts in my commute to work and any time in the car. Two days leading up to the test, I basically stopped working to study full-time, and the day before got to a hotel room near the testing center and did practice tests all day and night. You state multiple times that your podcasts are not going to get you to pass alone, but I am certain that they blessed me with that extra bit of understanding and reinforcement that helped me pass. And one more, and this will be the last one I read. There's just too many of them. This is from Kevin. Kevin wrote, Hi Franz, I wanted to say thank you for putting out your podcast. I purchased the Series 7 about a year ago and the 63 four or five months ago. I felt very comfortable going into the Series 7, which your podcast laid a very good foundation for me. The podcast alone would not allow me to pass the exam, as you clearly point out several times in your podcast but they got me about 70% there and gave me the foundation I needed to pass my exams the first time. As for the Series 63, there's no doubt in my mind that I would have failed without your podcast. I listened to the podcast on my way down to the exams about three hours, and thank goodness I did. I could hear your voice in my head as the questions popped up, which helped me pass the 63 on the first time as well. I am grateful that you took the time to put the podcast out at a very reasonable rate. Thank you very much. Have a great day, sincerely, Kevin. All right, let's get on to today's lesson. Welcome to the Series 7 Top Off Exam audio lessons. This is lesson number 15 and in this lesson we're going to be covering defined benefit plans and SEP plans. Let's talk about 401k plans to start out with. 401k plans are pretty common. They're probably the most common profit sharing plan out there and they do fall under what is considered profit sharing plans. 401k plans refers to the IRS code 401k. Now, you probably understand what they are. Basically, this is money that is set aside into an account that may or may not be matched by an employer. But the money that you set aside into a 401k plan, up to whatever the maximum annual contribution limits are, acts just like a regular IRA account does. In other words, it's a qualified deduction. It lowers your taxable income by the amount of the contribution, and it grows tax deferred until you pull it out. And just like in an IRA account, you cannot pull it out without penalties before you're 59 and a half years old, and you must start pulling the money out when you're 70. And a half years old. Now, most commonly, what will happen when you retire from a company, you will take a lump sum distribution from your 401k plan and roll it into an IRA account and manage it from that account. I have a lot of clients with IRA accounts, and the bulk of their assets came from their 401k plans. In fact, just the other day, I received an email from a client who had quit a company and was going to be transferring the assets from the 401k plan into her IRA account. Now, if you're an employer and you're setting up a 401k plan, you need to be aware of a few things. First of all, you can set up a 401k plan and not have any matching. But if you do that, you're going to have to do what's called discrimination testing or non-discrimination testing. Unless you fall into what is called the safe harbor plans. But let's just first of all talk about what non-discrimination testing means. When they do non-discrimination testing, the test requires that the employees are broken up into two groups, highly compensated individuals, which is defined for 2014 as employees who earn more than $115,000 or own more than 5% of the business and all the others. And what the test does, it looks at the average contribution of highly compensated individuals as a group into their 401k plans. And excluding the age 50 catch-up contributions, this group as a group cannot contribute more than two percent of the total amount that went into the 401k plan from all employees. Now, if it exceeds that, then the plan is going to be considered as a discriminatory plan and they have to take steps to alleviate discrimination. Now, you're not going to need to know all the details of this. In fact, I'm giving you more information on 401k plans and is going to be required for you to pass the Series 7 examination. But I think in your career, it's important to understand 401k plans and why employers match employee contributions. That's in order to get around this non-discrimination testing. It's not out of the largesse of your employers. It's to allow the highly compensated individuals to put as much as possible, into their own 401k plans. Now, what are the limits on a 401k plan? For 2017, contribution limits for 401k plans by employees who are participating in the plan is $18,000. Now, if you're 50 years or older, there is a catch-up limit that in addition to the $18,000 that you can place into a 401k plan and for 2017 that is an additional six thousand dollars so for a total between the regular contribution of eighteen thousand dollars and the catch-up contribution if you're age 50 and over the maximum could be twenty four thousand dollars now keep in mind year to year these limits change so you need to check for the year you're taking the series seven to see what the contribution limits are for that year. Now, let's say that you worked at one company half the year, put in, oh, let's say $15,000, and then switched to a new company and put another $15,000 in. That's not allowed. The total annual limit, assuming you're under 50 years old, is $18,000, regardless of how many employers you worked for during that year. So that's an annual maximum contribution limit. If you switch employers, cannot start over. You cannot make a larger contribution. Now, that's not dependent on your income. Now, that $18,000 is not a percentage of your income. That's the maximum that you could put in. Now, if you only earned $18,000, that could be 100% of your income that goes into the 401k plan. You probably don't need to know this, but there are safe harbor 401k plans. And this is for the plans where the highly compensated individuals want to contribute the maximum amount that they can into a 401k plan. And of course, assuming you're under 50 years old, again, that's $17,500 for 2014. So in order for the highly compensated individuals to be able to make that maximum contribution, and not fall into the non-discrimination testing rules, they can set up what is called a safe harbor 401k plan. And what that does is it requires that the employers make a dollar-for-dollar matching contribution for all participating employees on the first 4% of each employee's compensation. Or, so this is either or, Contribute three percent of the employee's compensation for each eligible employee, regardless of whether that employee chooses to participate in the plan. So, if the employer does either one of those, he falls into the safe harbor plan, which allows the highly compensated individuals to put in the maximum amount of seventeen thousand five hundred dollars. I think that's more than enough of what you're going to need to know about 401k plans for the Series Seven examination. One other thing, 401k plans are regulated under ERISA. A few more things we will discuss. In order to set up a 401k plan, the money set aside by the employees and the employer in a 401k plan, the matching contributions, the matching contributions can have a vesting schedule, just like we talked about in defined benefit plans, except in safe harbor plans. In a safe harbor 401k plan, Matching contributions must be 100% vested, sometimes referred to as immediate vesting. If it's not a safe harbor plan, employer contributions, matching employer contributions can be subject to the vesting schedules that are set up for the plan. This podcast on the Series 7 Top-Off Study Guide, audio lessons for the new Series 7 exam is brought to you by insuranceexampodcast.com. In addition to passing the Series 7 exam and the SIE exam, most likely you are going to be required to pass additional examinations in order to present your client with the investment choices most suitable for him. These additional examinations will include the Series 63 exam and the Life Health Insurance exam. The insurance examination is an examination administered by the state in which you plan on selling insurance products. Insurance products can include variable annuities, fixed annuities, whole life insurance, and other insurance products. While each state has a slightly different insurance exam, there is uniformity to these exams, and the life health insurance exam can be studied in your spare time by listening to audio lessons. At InsuranceExamPodcast.com, they have a series of audio lessons, which is 12 hours in length, and consists of 26 audio lessons and 5 review lessons. Go to InsuranceExamPodcast.com and sign up to get 5 free lessons to start preparing for your insurance exam. Now, What must be put into a 401k plan for the employees to choose their investments, they must have at least three investment alternatives, which are substantially different from one another. There might be a bond fund, there might be a cash fund, in other words, a money market fund, and there might be a stock fund. There's usually multiple choices, because these are usually set up by mutual fund companies, and you have a lot of choices as to where you're going to be putting your money. But there must be at least three investment alternatives that are diversified and different from one another and give different risk characteristics. And employees, participants in the plan, need to have the ability to diversify their portfolios and be able to change their portfolios uh, with, and I guess the term is, with enough frequency to match the volatility of the portfolios. Quite often, plans are set up to at least allow changes in the plan's investments on a quarterly basis. Some of them let you go in any time and change your investment choices around. But you must have at least three investments. And one of those investments can be stock in the employer's company, assuming it matches the requirements for that stock to be available to employees. All right. That's enough on 401k plans. Let's talk about profit-sharing plans. Profit-sharing plans are another type of defined contribution plan that fall under the ERISA regulations. The advantage of a profit-sharing plan is that it allows the option to make a contribution to a plan, not the requirement. And just like in a 401k plan, it's dependent on the The contribution limits into a profit-sharing plan for 2014 are $52,000, so that can be 100% of the employee's compensation up to $52,000. Participation in the plan is defined in the plan document. You can have requirements before employees can participate in the plan, such as having reached the age of 21 years. You could have immediate participation upon employment, or you could have them delay up to two years, before they're covered. You can require full-time employment, in other words, a 1,000 hours per year for employees to participate in the plan. Now, the plan can be set up such that The employer acts as a trustee and makes investments for the benefit of the participants of the plan. And should he do this, he's required to follow the prudent man rule, or he can set it up so that employees have investment choices to make with the money that is contributed to their plan. It can be done either way. When the plan is set up, the employer must provide the employee what is a document called a summary plan description, which includes, among other things how employees become eligible to participate in the plan, when the contribution to the plan is made, how long it takes to become vested, employees are eligible to receive their benefits, how to file a claim for those benefits, and the basic rights and responsibilities under ERISA rules and regulations. The big advantage of a profit-sharing plan is it can be combined with a 401k plan and a defined benefit plan to shelter even more income. But like a defined benefit plan and a 401k plan, there are filing requirements which make it somewhat expensive to maintain for a small employer. You have to file an annual 5,500 each year. But unlike a defined benefit plan, there's no requirement for an actuary to sign off on the plan. Again, this is a defined contribution plan, not a defined benefit plan. There is one more type of ERISA qualified plan that you really don't need to know about anymore. But there still is what is called a money purchase pension plan, or simply a money purchase plan. And like a profit sharing plan, it allows you to put up to $54,000 for the year 2017 is the maximum. There used to be a time when you could set up a profit sharing plan and fund that to a certain dollar amount and then set up a money purchase plan and fund it even greater. Now the maximum that you can contribute to either a money purchase pension plan or a profit-sharing plan is $54,000. You cannot combine the two, $54,000 for the year 2017 is the maximum. Why you don't see money purchase plans much anymore is because when you set up a money purchase plan, you are required to fund it by the amount stated in the plan every year. So it doesn't give you the option in good years of funding it and bad years not funding it. Once you set up a money purchase plan, you have to fund it to whatever the plan was set up to fund. Say if it was 5% of salaries, you have to do that every year. You really don't even need to know much about money purchase plans. I don't even think they ask the question in the Series 7 anymore. But just for your information, they still exist, but they're really not used much anymore. All right, let's talk about a couple simple plans that are not under ERISA. They are the SEP IRA plans and the simple IRA plans. And these are designed for employers to set up what would be the equivalent of a profit sharing plan in the case of a SEP IRA or a simple IRA, which would be the equivalent of a 401k plan. Now, they have certain rules and requirements and certain maximums that are different from a regular profit sharing plan and a regular 401k plan. Let's discuss that right now. So a SEP IRA stands for Simplified Employee Pension Plan. And how you set up this plan is you set up a account for each one of the employees. So the employee has his own brokerage account, his own SEP IRA account at the brokerage house. And the employer funds that by whatever he chooses to fund. But he has to be non-discriminatory. In other words, if he funds his own SEP IRA account... 10%, he must fund the employee's SEP IRA accounts as well by the same percentage amount. He's not required to fund it, but if he funds his own, he has to fund the employees as well. Under this plan, both full and part-time employees are eligible for a SEP IRA as long as they're 21 years of age and have worked for that employer at least three out of the immediately five preceding years the maximum contribution that can be made into a SEP IRA plan for 2017 is 25% of compensation up to a maximum of $54,000. All right, that's the end of the lesson for today. Again, the full lesson and the full series of audio lessons is available at the website series7podcast.com. This podcast on the Series 7 Top-Off Study Guide Audio Lessons for the new Series 7 exam is brought to you by InsuranceExamPodcast.com. In addition to passing the Series 7 exam and the SIE exam, most likely you are going to be required to pass additional examinations in order to present your client with the investment choices most suitable for him. These additional examinations will include the Series 63 exam, and the Life Health Insurance exam. The insurance examination is an examination administered by the state in which you plan on selling insurance products. Insurance products can include variable annuities, fixed annuities, whole life insurance, and other insurance products. While each state has a slightly different insurance exam, there is uniformity to these exams. And the Life Health Insurance Exam can be studied in your spare time by listening to audio lessons. At InsuranceExamPodcast.com, they have a series of audio lessons, which is 12 hours in length, and consists of 26 audio lessons and 5 review lessons. Go to InsuranceExamPodcast.com and sign up to get 5 free lessons to start preparing for your insurance exam. Best of luck in your studies. And remember, this podcast is sponsored by...